Hey, this is Josh from Small Black, and you're listening to the Paradise Arcade. The Paradise Arcade may contain explicit content. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to the Paradise Arcade with Eric and Kyle. Welcome back to another episode of the Paradise Arcade. This week, we have a very special guest. We have Josh from Small Black. Welcome to the show. Yo, what up? I appreciate you coming on. I'm excited to have you on. I've, you know, expanding. I'm always looking for new music and always looking for different um, textures of music and people that do interesting things. And what excites me is when an artist blends a lot of different things together to create something wholly unique. And when I found your music, I was really, really happily surprised in my surprise. So I'm really interested to obviously have a conversation with you about your music and just get to kind of know your, your processes. So thank you for coming on. Oh, of course not. Sounds great. Great to me. (laughs) So, um, You've obviously you released an album last year, and that you know from what I was reading before, you know there was a a five year gap between the latest album and the last album release. Part of it was because of COVID. Part of it was just as you were saying, was life things happened, and that there was a musical um, you know progression journey um, that maybe is was different from how you maybe have thought about music previously in your career because you've been around a long time i'm um, at this point um, oh yeah oh yeah we can't been making those mp3s for for over, way over a decade now so and so i i'm really curious what really keeps you going what keeps your your creative juices flowing because i talked to you know a lot of artists that have been around not as long as you and they really struggle with inspiration they struggle with workflow and and sitting down and getting to actually writing music once they've actually achieved their dream well i didn't i don't really have that many other ideas other than making songs so um you know so that that makes it easier for me um i don't know it's just something i've done since i was like 10 years old or you know i've always been writing music I, i just something i do every day and um I'm lucky enough to work with Ryan and Juan and Jeff. And I think we find a lot of inspiration in each other and and we're not kind of tasked with doing everything ourselves. So like that friendship definitely keeps the band going. And, you know, we've gone through a lot of stuff together, both, you know, personally and musically. And it's just really fun to kind of keep, keep evolving with them. I'm still not bored of it. So. Yeah. You were saying, um, you know, or reading about your bandmates that, you know, they're non-egotistical, that you all work really collectively and take feedback and inspiration from each other. Yeah, I think everybody kind of brings a, a different skill set to the band and, and offers something else. And it's just, you know, these are long. I've been working, this this will be year 20 of working on music with Ryan. So, you know, these are long. And I think like with, 
Juan and Jeff, it's like into year 15 or something. So it's, you know, these are just long-term friendships that are very uh, important to my life way beyond just the band. So, I mean, I would say that they're beyond friendships. I mean, they're really fundamental relationships to your life. Oh yeah. At the end of the day, I mean, they're, they're much deeper than, than a, you know, bandmate. It's a, it's, that's an incredible thing to be in and for to last that long is also insane. So congratulations. Cause I'm really impressed by that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty loyal to, to the folks in my life. And I think it's, you know, I, I don't think it's gotten stagnant in any way. And I think we've, we've kind of continued to evolve and I don't know. I still think the things we're making are very, good or i mean every everybody likes to think the, the thing they're working on now is better than anything else they've ever done but i don't know i think they keep changing in a way that is exciting to me and it's not something i see ending anytime soon well i mean i definitely think you know cheap dreams um like it sounds really fresh it sounds really um like it's not pursuing any flavor it sounds like something originally original from uh, artists. And I think, you know, and it doesn't sound like your other records. I mean, like there's a thread of small black in the, the catalog material, but it definitely sounds like a progression. It doesn't seem like a cop out. Like I think some artists, they hit that success or whatever that level is. And then they sort of either get pressured into repeating that same, thing that made them famous or made them renowned and just rinse and repeat where I really felt with like this last record, it really was a, a natural progression. It seemed like, um, growth. Yeah. I mean, nobody cares enough about our band to like, uh, (laughs) to keep doing the same thing over and over again. So, you know, I, I feel like we kind of can just do whatever the hell we want, but but seriously, like, I don't know. It's, the band's always been kind of shaped by our ability, I think, as producers in a way. And we've gotten better and better over time. Like, I think the original stuff we did is lo-fi, like, you know, which was kind of on trend at the time. But like, really, we were just like, we don't know how to make a record that sounds real good. We don't have the gear. We don't have the money. So like, what can we do that kind of feels fresh? And that is like, I don't know, in our humility, we were able to be like, yeah, we can do this and we can figure it out. And you know, I feel like we're just trying to get better all the time in terms of making the records and, and the production value. Um, but yeah, I don't know. If we were smart, we would have just made the same record over and over again. <laughs> it, it, it really does work out for people a lot of times, you know? Like, I, I just, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you joked about it, but I, I would have to feel that there's something almost liberating about being able to do whatever you want to and not get pigeonholed into something. Oh yeah. I, I really like, I love where the band is at. Like, you know, we don't, we're not really playing the press game or like trying to, I don't know, be cool. We just kind of do our thing. And like, we have a super dedicated fan base that continues to show up. So it's like, I don't know. They like generally where we've been taking this stuff and that's lucky. So, you know, I think they're on board if with for the journey with the band if if they kind of have gotten there from from the get go. So it's it it 
you just confirmed in my mind like this this idea like you when you're a kid you think about being great or grand or famous or whatever it is um and then you know a lot of times you get you see the realities of of what that does to a person and like what it seems like to me is that you're able to have your voice have your creativity do the things you want to do um and make a living at it uh and still hold true all the things that you want to do and you're not necessarily subject to the whims of you know whatever fad there is going on at the moment and that's got to be really um a, a fantastic feeling i would assume yeah yeah you're making me feel real good right now and I, I, I don't think about it that well so um yeah it's funny because you know we came up on something that was a huge fad chill wave you know like yeah getting branded with this like ridiculous moniker for the music from literally our first ever press write-up i was like what is this like, like i like, still question I, what it is i remember the first thing we ever got they got written up about it. it's like they compared us to washed out and toro and neon indians like i don't know what the hell any of this stuff is like i've never heard of this like and it's funny like all those those guys kind of became our friends and like we're kind of like connected with them forever but like it was truly out of nowhere like i i didn't i didn't know what any of that stuff was i didn't know what the hell these terms they were calling our band so it, it's like it's funny to like have started in this very zeitgeisty thing and then like i don't know been able to kind of just keep it going by drifting i think i think all of us all those bands we all wanted to get as far away from that as possible from the jump but it ended up kind of like giving us a platform from the beginning that i think all the artists have been able to kind of expand on and you know make some pretty pretty great stuff over time yeah it's interesting um you know we we cover a lot of you know subgenres of electronic music that that you know artists launch out of and they love that embrace but ultimately you know people grow and they change and they it, 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 if you're an artist you want to do different stuff and so you start to drift away from that initial whatever thing you started out from or were associated with and it's interesting that you're i can't really hear you and neon indian like in some aspects like lo-fi retro-ish just feel like some people need to categorize music and they find something that's like as close or sort of is similar and they go that's what you are yeah i mean i don't think we're really like any of those bands no, like yeah. I, they're not really bands you know it's like toro is sometimes you know i guess they are sometimes but like they're all coming at it from more of a producer's like perspective from the get-go like whereas we're always like a band first um and maybe more so as we go along as, as like i feel like touring you know definitely took it from the bedroom or working onto the stage so it kind of changed the, the way we conceived of the songs and what was going to happen with them after they were done but yeah i mean yeah i do think a lot of those comparisons are lazy and i think a lot of times we have a, a, a connection with artists that were not really like necessarily mentioned in the same breath as uh more so than the chill wave stuff but i don't know i still like all that music so i don't i don't really mind yeah 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 and i yeah and that, i want to make that explicitly clear it's not shitting on any genre is just oh, no. 
it's uh you know people again they they grasp to try and categorize something to be like oh it's like this so you understand or try to they try to convey to someone else so they understand but does it does a disservice at the end of the day yeah i mean at this point in terms of like trying to make it as an artist and like have an audience like honestly anything that gets people to talk about it is probably good you know it's there's so much noise out there and anything any way you can kind of get into people's ears in a way that they're open to it and not just like having it wash over them on their spotify radio it's like i don't know it's pretty powerful so it you know i, I remember like hating those monikers like go go fi and chill wave but like in the end it was like maybe one of the best things that happened to us as in terms of success I was just going to say something about that. I'd be like, even though you may not like it, it's still bringing attention that you may not have had before. And I don't dislike it because the other bands are good. You know, if the other bands suck, then (laughs) I guess it would be bad. But like all all, all those bands are great and like also lovely people, too. So it kind of kind of worked out. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to be able to, you know, like tour washed out and, and those kinds of folks and have that exposure and that opportunity to get in front of people and, and uh, let your music speak for itself. No, totally. It's, it was, it's a great way to kind of get, get it out there in people's ears. So is touring even is touring for you at this point, still a reasonable, feasible thing to do as a band. Yeah, we make money. We're like, we're not, I think I've seen a lot of stuff this year, like people like, oh, I can't. I mean, it's definitely a problem because of gas costs and transit costs and everything. There's always stuff, but like, you just have to be smart. You know, we just come from like a, like Ryan was in hardcore bands. I was in other bands. Like you just got to cut corners, you know, like, and you need to just kind of like keep your expenses. Like we don't ever have a tour manager. We tour manage ourselves. You know, there's just certain things that you have to just look at the bottom line and be like, well, if I want to come back with this, if I want to be able to do this and come back with my rent and another month's rent, like I need to not, I need to probably going to have to work a little harder. So I don't know. It's all about kind of the level of where you're at, but, and, but I do think a lot right now, like touring in, in the States for foreign artists is like really brutal with some of the visa stuff and England is brutal. It's like all these sort of rigmarole bureaucratic stuff has really kind of made it harder for international artists to go other places. Yeah, I've I've had some friends that have tried to come over in the the red tape of Oh, it's brut it's brutal, yeah. Yeah. And it's like here's you're providing music. Why why do you have to go through the Department of Homeland Security and go through all of these steps for the the visa and it just it just sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, you got to have somebody figuring that out for you as an artist. Otherwise, you're going to like seriously melt, lose your brain. So <laughs> I I just uh. I would say that would make me quit very quick. Like, oof, yeah, too, too many mean, steps. Uh, not for me right a, now. Yeah, I mean, our booking agents are great and just kind of handle that stuff for us. And it's just like a requirement for an artist. You just can't deal with it. Like it, it's it's going to hurt your soul and it kind of yeah it's going to make you not want to do it so i'm really happy to hear that you know touring is still just because what i've read has been so bleak and it's like it's the death of live music you're never going to be able to go to a concert ever again 
Unless it's Taylor I mean, Swift. I think that's a bunch of crap, but, um, you know, there's lots of stuff that's messed up about it in terms of, like, ticketing fees and um, merch cuts from artists, I think, are pretty, pretty bunk. Like, especially if they're not, like, providing a service for selling it. It's just, like, I don't, you know, it's, like, part of a huge way artists make money. Uh, yeah. Especially for, like, when they're taking, like, 20% of, like, an opening artist who's getting paid $300 for the show. And it's, like, it's brutal, you know? It's, like, that's that's how you can do those support tours is if, like, you have cool merch and you make another 500 or 600 bucks a night. It's right. Like, and it's, yeah. That's, like, how you can do it. Like, but... I mean, that's traditionally, from my understanding, how a lot of bands make it is through selling the merch. It's Oh, yeah. Um, I know lots of bands that make more money on merch than the guarantees sometimes, you mm -hmm. know, depending on on who, who they are. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've seen not that. us, though. Not us, though. We're not that. We're not cool enough. But... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just joking. But... Yeah, we don't have like psycho merch merch fans like trying to get limited edition, you know, Cupid dolls or whatever we're selling. <laughs> you heard it here. That's the new thing. <laughs> the new thing. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's good. It I, it's a nice supplemental source. What you do provide, I, I'm sure is is good. And and I think that's always the thing. Um, I try to really tell people is you know, that's how artists make their money. I read a statistic that if you buy one vinyl record, it's equal to the amount of like a million streams on Spotify. It's like, I mean, that's not the case, but um, it's definitely super helpful. I mean, that, that number is way off. Uh, what would it be? 17, Two million. <laughs> well, so this is 17 cents roundish for a stream and the average cutoff a record is like, can be up to 10 bucks 17 cents for a stream that's oh, yeah uh, you don't get that I'll, much i'll take that man but like point oh, zero zero one seven <laughs> yeah it's, one it's, seven oh, i'm sorry that those are ta taylor like swift numbers for spotify it's like point zero zero four cents a stream around there and some of the other ones are different apple is closer to point to point one cents they definitely pay better um so yeah i, I can't oh, yeah. i don't have my cut it's yeah, like it's, yeah it, uh, it's like 30 30 000 or forty thousand streams or something probably yeah i think it's like forty thousand streams is probably equal to a yeah. record so still, still pretty good you know it's still, still a lot good. of people yeah sorry for the hyperbole it's no it's all it's good I, I like i think pe it's good for people to kind of know that like what that what this stuff actually means because it's it's definitely kind of it changes a lot too what the streaming sites pay and um i don't know it's there's definitely money to be made there you know I, a lot of my friends you know all live off it so it that's impressive know. yeah well i mean it's you know it's taking your catalog and it's constantly generating money off older things which you know in the past you know people already bought that record so um you know there's no more money to make from it so right if someone keeps playing it over and over again they're not paying more but you're getting paid more for it so there, there's something there you know it's like the rate's not very good per stream but like 
you can get lucky and do really well on it. You know, it's just a totally different model and it's still kind of wild westy with this. And it'll be interesting over the next like 10 years, kind of what, what happens because like Spotify, was like, compl- I never could have seen this coming when we, you know, when we put out Despicable Dogs, it's like not how we were thinking about people consuming the music in any way. You know, you're just like, oh, they're going to buy it on the iTunes store or like stream it for free on the Pitchfork site. Like we didn't even think about where we were uploading it to. So it's, I don't know, it just totally, totally changed the whole, whole dynamic. Yeah. I, I thank you for that clarification. I'm really, I'm, I'm interested in, you know, from your perspective of how you feel about it. Cause obviously it's really contentious. Some people are like, you know, it's, just the wave of the future and it's great and other people are like they're stealing from us yada 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 and so you know i i'm curious to you know just know what your opinion of it was and it, it's you seem to have a very pragmatic view well i'll be honest it's been really good for small black like we made a lot of new fans via streaming after like you know like on the record that probably got the worst reviews is these are our most successful record because people found it on streaming and I think it's our best one. So, you know, it's like, I don't know, you got to just take what you can from this. You know, it's like, I'm not going to, st- I mean, I, I don't know when we do start my own streaming platform, you know, like, oh, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't know what else there is to do. And like, there is the accessibility of the music is, you know, both uh, a gift and a curse and, Sometimes it pays off and sometimes, you know, you get get the shaft. So it's really just kind of a lot of luck of the draw with this stuff. So for you personally, do you um, use streaming a lot because of the ease and access of it? Or are you more because I'm always interested to know, like, a musician's engagement with music and some people like, yeah, I listen to music all the time. People like, no, I don't want it to influence me and what I do. I go, I go through back and back and forth with it. You know, like my number one New Year's resolution this year was to like listen to more music because I feel like I kind of lost a bit of perspective in the past year because I'm just so deep in working on our stuff and listening to podcasts and stuff. So I've been feeling like a real desire to kind of have a better handle on what people are making and kind of where things are getting pushed but no i don't i don't think that at all like i don't think i'm very influenced by things that come out like most of the stuff i really like is like was made 40 years ago so you know right that's kind of the stuff i'm trying to steal from generally so yeah i don't think there's i think that's a great place to steal from uh yeah well the kids don't know it anymore you know like you know like war on drugs can like cover a rod stewart song their album and literally nobody nobody picks up on it you know it's like well i'm pretty sure that because wasn't there a song that they this that they took do you think i'm sexy off of and i don't think anyone caught that it was from a song that's 40 years old or almost 50 oh yeah no and I, I kudos to them i mean it's those are great melodies it's like very much in the canon of pop songwriting and rock songwriting like everybody was stealing from each other all the time, you know, mm-hmm. it's like so many of the, the biggest songs are like some alternate version of the original song. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it's, absolutely. It's, I think it's fun. I love when people reference stuff. I think it's, it's cool and we should do it more. You know, it's like rap rap happened because of this entirely because people recognize all the samples, you know, and like 
some all the biggest hits are like these huge riffs that like beastie boys are sampling freaking led zeppelin you know it's like i don't know like this it's very much in in the wheelhouse of, of pop music yeah absolutely uh i i, I it's interesting we'll see how that overt like obviously like direct sampling now is very expensive to do um but now even people are being sued for you know lines or bars of music and i'm curious how referential people will get and if they're scared away by lawsuits cuz there's you know there's been a few pretty big lawsuits that have happened and I don't think yeah, all the blur- of them have been successful, but yeah, I mean, like the blurred lines one is pretty interesting. Like, I don't know, it's pretty close, but at the same time, it's just kind of a core progression. It's like hard to really copyright that, um, right? I think most of the music industry doesn't really want people to be able to sue for any sort of publishing side. It's really just if you just use the recording or like directly rip off a line or i don't know it, it's it's tricky you know I, I, it's there's it's just the industry built on stealing so you know it's, right right and it's you know it's mostly creators versus publishers or record yeah. labels because yeah i think it was the someone sued led zeppelin for stairway to heaven because they said it stole from their folk song that came out oh, yeah. like a year or two before and yeah there was a legendary story in my my family my my uncle jerry berry who's a, a garbage man in staten island he claimed that he had written a lion eyes by the eagles <laughs> <laughs> he said he said he played at an open mic night in denver one time and then like don henley was there and ripped it off so i love that it's definitely complete complete garbage but i i i love that that concept that so. is an amazing story that's like yeah. a stereotypical uncle story that too, <laughs> oh, yeah. Something like that. yeah pretty solid so i don't think i ever saw him play a guitar or anything so you know it's he's so upset he had to quit at that point <laughs> yeah, like, yeah i'm never yeah. doing it again yeah <laughs> only song I ever wrote yeah having flashbacks to like junior high when a kid's like yeah, my uncle works for Nintendo, so I get to play all the stuff first. And oh, by the way, he dropped me off at school in a helicopter. Today. <laughs> oh yeah, I love that kind of talk. It's it's we had a lot of good liars in in elementary school. It's so absurd that you almost give him a pass because of how ridiculous it is. Yeah, one kid said that he sung on the turkey in the Thanksgiving Day parade, and he even made up the entire song that he sung and we were like pat we watched we all watched this like like you you weren't there like just completely bald-faced lying <laughs> to our faces it was a different part li- <laughs> yeah he, he literally made up the song it wasn't even a real song he like it was he's was, the song was like eat your turkey <laughs> like and he had like three verses for it we we're like you are a psycho like how'd you even Props for going that far. Hey, you know what you should do? You should record it and release it. I still remember (laughs) it, you know, a zillion years later, so it was clearly a good bit. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, So you've referred to the last album or your inspiration or where you're trying to be is like Sophisto Pop. Um, Where 
have you gone since the release of the new album? Because, you know, it took five years to come to be or to gestate or, you know, however that came to be. And now we're, you know, a year more later. You said you're working on music. Is there a new directionality for you? Inspiration? You say you're you're listening to music again uh, more yeah. as a new resolution. What is that looking like forward for you? I don't know. We have like a million songs we're working on right now. I was just talking with Juan this afternoon about how overwhelmed we are by the sheer amount of demos that we kind of like at the moment because I just feel like we're like we've kind of spread out across the country. Like I'm in LA now and Brian moved upstate to Woodstock and we've kind of been sending each other stuff back and forth, like in preparation to do like a bigger session later uh, this year. Um, but in that, there's been a lot of like, I don't know, there's been a lot of inspiration. I think everybody's kind of got a better home studio set up now. Like, I think we've all finally spent enough money to be able to work on our own and not like have to pool all our resources to like have it in one person's house. So I think that individualism is like getting us to some pretty interesting stuff. As far as influences, like, I mean, we, we've been pulling from the sophisticated pop stuff since like limits of desire, you know, like I feel like we kind of got slammed on that record. People saying we, we were like trying to make an R and B record. And I'm like, I mean, we're just really trying to like reference like the blue Nile and talk, talk and like that, that sort of eighties moment of, you know, this I love level. Yeah. Those are like my favorite bands. Yeah. So, you know, I felt like people really got the wrong, I mean, critics got the wrong read on it, whereas, like, people didn't because it's our most popular record. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the zone. That was, like, a big shift for us, that record limits, like, from the more, like, punky DIY stuff that we kind of came up doing, like, playing shows and, like, going to shows for, like, you know, the late aughts into, like, the early teens you know like that was just kind of the world we were living in so um yeah i don't know as far as like the new stuff i think i don't know i generally come at music from a pretty melancholic place like uh, just kind of a way to deal with sadness in a lot of ways and i think maybe i got a lot of that out of the way on the last record like like we're just trying to have some fun again and like we have kind of been revisiting some of the like that early like small bag EP stuff, which is like truly um I, punk I don't mean punk in terms of like aesthetic, but like punk in terms of approach, like sure. like not feeling uh I don't know, just feeling kind of free with the gear and trying to break the rules again you know i think we, we spent some time really trying to figure out like how do you make a classic sounding record you know what goes into that what's the gear what is you know what was talk talk using on color of spring you know what synth is that on you know we've kind of learned a lot of those lessons so now i think it's about kind of unlearning them a little bit and, and kind of almost like Hey, sorry for interrupting. I hope that you're enjoying the episode so far and that when you're done listening to it, that you'll tell us about it. You'll leave a comment, 
you'll like our page, you'll like the episode post, you'll share it, you repost it, you do all those things. Uh, all that kind of engagement uh, makes a big difference for you know what we do. We want to hear from you. And at the end of the day, it's as much about community engagement as it is about anything else. So all of those things, commenting, liking, sharing, following us, it all matters. We also have a Patreon where you can contribute as much or as little as you want. There is some exclusive content on there and we will continue to update that. But know that your contribution goes back 100% into the show. I'm not going to ramble on. Kyle and I would just like to say thank you for listening. Whether it's your first time or you've caught all the episodes, thank you. So without further ado, let's get back to the episode. It's a motherfucking paradise I don't know, deconstructing things that we've been doing previously, so. It's almost like you're going punk on yourselves. Like Yeah. You, yeah. Because, like, and I'm not, I, I don't know, like, how you've been playing music for at least 20 years. I don't know, like, before that, like, in school and or if you're classically trained or that kind of a thing, but uh, you know, like musical education constrains you to kind of ideas in certain ways. Of oh, I, I don't thinking. know. I don't have any musical education, uh, completely self-taught, not, not <laughs> definitely learned everything in some bizarre way, mostly from just like trying to figure out what my bloody Valentine did. So, yeah. So like there, and that, that in itself is a, is the, a punk approach is just figuring yeah, it out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And now you've had all this time to progress and work on your crafting and figure things out in a thorough way. And then it's like, okay, now we're just going to throw all that out and unlearn or undo the things that we've done and rebel against yourself a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you learn lessons about what's good and bad about your songwriting over time and like instincts you have that, you know, are solid ones and sometimes ones that you know, you repeat the same mistake and you're like, oh, why did, wasn't this song? Why wasn't this song the one? And then you just like, oh, you like to put too many words in the second verse, you know, like you always do it every time. So it's like, <laughs> we've written enough songs at, at this point where like you really kind of know yourself in terms of what your instincts are. And honestly, things just come way faster to me now than they ever, ever did. Like just, I feel like we've just done so much at this point. Like, I'm very savage with myself about like that sucks, that's good. Like I don't, I don't like until it's like the last line of the the verse of the song, and then I'll sweat that for like a year. But <laughs> get the first, yeah, like but the the main gist of it, I feel like I can get for things very quickly. Like, and I don't tend not to change them. We used to just rework songs so much, like. And to six to like some of them to great success and some of them to like, you know, ruin and not making the record. So it's really it's always about finding that balance. Some of our most successful ones though are the ones that came together the quickest. A lot of times like I feel like the last song we do for the record always ends up being one of the best ones. Like it's like I feel like it's almost every time because you just kind of have a good sense of what the record is and then the constraints of it. And you kind of just make something that kind of ends up being towards the center of it. So, um, it reminds me of something or a methodology that 
I heard from Trent Reznor, I've told this story before, where he got to a certain point in his career, like post the fragile in the music writing or into film scoring that he just yeah. stopped being a perfectionist, like leaning into the instincts, leaning into this is this first take or these first few takes. This is it. This is a moment in time. This is a, this is a honest expression of whatever this is here and now. And then we're, we're just going to move on. I mean, yeah, if you're good enough, that's going to work great. <laughs> you know, that's how I you choose suck. a pineapple at the grocery store. I always yeah, go for the first yeah. one I see. Yeah, I mean, it. I think that sounds great, you know, and I do feel like maybe we, we've just done enough stuff at this point that we can get closer to that. Um, and yeah, you should like, I, I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. Like first idea, best idea is definitely a decent philosophy for a lot of stuff when you've like, already established that you are at least a competent band or artist you know like it's there's always another song to write you know like you can just let this one go if it doesn't work out you know and once you're past like that like i don't know you just feel like you have to really not that i feel like i don't have to nail everything but like i have to nail it for me now i don't, I don't have to think about like Oh, what is what's this? Is this gonna get a good review on Pitchfork? You know, it's like anytime I thought like that, I think is some of the definitely made some of the worst choices I possibly could have. So, you know, like that. It, that's how is that? Do you think that's because you've just gotten older, or you? Oh yeah, you, yeah. I truly don't give a crap anymore. Like, and and we're lucky <laughs> enough that that people still care. Even like, so I don't know. I I just feel like. Yeah, we just gotta trust us, and people will. If we if we make something that we like, our taste is. You know, I like some cool records. You know, like, <laughs> uh, you know, I I think I got a couple jokes. You know, people people will like it. You know, it's just it just as long as you're trusting yourself, I feel like you're. You know, it's gonna at least go okay. So it it, it ties into the or the next question ties into then you're talking about revisiting some older material how does how has that been going when you get into something you've written 10, well 15? i you know i i work in film too as a, i i'm an archival producer for documentaries so uh i am always kind of going through somebody's archive um so i have a very extended archive of our stuff and like I, i'm pretty like diligent about kind of keeping all our demos and like having easy access to them so you know i'm kind of crazy like i'll like finish like bring up an idea from like 2011 but, like that was pretty banging you know that chorus i don't know why we didn't use it <laughs> so <laughs> like i i have a crazy memory for that stuff so it's never like i don't know a good idea is a good idea and if you can find it again and, and recontextualize it in whatever you're doing now, then it can be good. Like Boy's Life, that track is one of our biggest tracks, like uh, was just, we were literally like getting drunk at a cabin and we were just like flipping through old sessions and Juan opened this one and we were like, what the hell is this? This is awesome. Like, why did we, why did we not do anything with this track? And like, it ended up being like the lead single for the record. So it's like, I don't know, there's always stuff out there. It, you know, it it is really easy to get bogged down in the past, but 
I don't know. I, I'm kind of a psycho and I can never let things go. So if it's a good idea, I'm going to try to finish it one day. I might be 90, but you know, I bet I can still hit like at least like one octave of, of, <laughs> of vocals, you know? <laughs> That's, I mean, it, it's really cool that you take the time to, to preserve and, and again, just to archive. That's a lot of work to keep things organized and accessible. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the band, they make fun of me all the time. You're like, like, Oh, Josh, look at him. He's pulling, pulling out some idea from 2010. Again, this jerk, like make some new stuff. You jerk. So <laughs> have you ever thought about like maybe why you didn't finish? Like, cause like, it's like, you're hearing it almost for the first time when you pull something out that old and you're like, this is fucking fresh. And then, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I just, you ever thought about why you didn't finish it when you first made it? Like what that barrier was. Sometimes you're not good enough, you know, like that's like, I finished a song from 2009 pretty recently. I think it's really good. And it just wasn't a good it was a really cool idea at the time but it was not we were not smart enough to be able to kind of make get into a full piece of music with the lyric and with a through line that i would be happy with so i don't know some things just take a while you know once radiohead took like you know like 20 years to put true love weights on a record or like like yeah i can get i just use that to justify any of my stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean it makes sense and and yeah it's interesting you put it that way i mean i I, it it totally makes it's like i have an idea i think it's like most things in my life i have a good idea i have no way to bring it to life or articulate it in any kind of meaningful way but it's a good idea and you document those ideas and are able to actually bring them to life yeah sometimes it just takes a while you know like leonard cohen said he would take like five years to do a verse you know it's like i don't know you just got to know when it's right and when it's good. So I'd, I'd rather just sit on it than, than force it out. I can already think of like my least favorite small black track. And I'm like, this is definitely the one I rushed the most ever to try to like get an extra track on a record. Like it's always a bad choice pretty much, you know, unless you really like just nail it right away. And am I hearing now that you're, you're really in a place where you're trusting your instincts and you're, oh, yeah. and you're oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. not rushing if it's not right not going to release it if it doesn't sound yeah, right i just crush a red bull and just start shaking and lo- looking at the session <laughs> and, and then, <laughs> then, then just see like yeah this is good so no but i don't know i mean i don't want to get all pretentious about it it's just when you trust yourself i think in most decisions in life like you, you take the proper amount of time to evaluate and then just you got to make a choice one of my best friends from childhood is like uh he was kind of a bad boy as a friend and but he was always very decisive and like it's been very fun to watch him kind of grow up and like have kids and stuff and kind of bring the exact same sort of ethos like he just doesn't like i will overthink everything over and over again and this my friend phil he's a toy designer he will just literally make a decision within five minutes live with it and like they're usually the right ones so i do try to think of him sometimes when i'm like laboring over if there should be like a you know a drop the bass in verse two of you know this eighth track it's like just just make a choice and live with it it's not really not 
end of the world. Kyle, I think you have a, a phrase that will go along <laughs> yeah. with this. Yeah, it's uh, do what you want to do. Uh, don't do what you don't want to do. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's a good way to think about it. Like, yeah, the more the more you're thinking about how someone's going to listen to it to an extent, like kind of the worse it make, you, you make it. You just got to really trust what you think is good and what you like. I think and you that might come it, back to to in five years and be like, "This is what a turd," you know. But <laughs> you I mean, still, know. it's on. It's an honest turd. It's not a turd yeah. trying to be something else. <laughs> it's not a pretend yeah, yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, it's not a pretend. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's talk about how you landed on a hundred percent at Electronica. Um, that's a is a pretty cool thing. You were at Electronicon three last year. Obviously, they released the last record. Um, was that relooking for a different record label at some point? How did that come to be? Yeah, we were out of our contract and kind of just hunting around for something new and like some new energy for the band just because we kind of just had been in the same place from the beginning. And um, Tommy from Beach Fossils kind of connected me. I had like new. I knew Chris from 100% a little bit and I knew and kind of linked up with George and Lindsay and I don't know. They're just, it's a great little, little home for us. You know, they, they're kind of tapped into kids in a different way than we were. And like, I don't know, it's been great. They've really opened us up to some new ears, which is kind of what you really want out of a label, you know? So, yeah, they really seem to be tapped into this new, it's it's like a curating a group of artists together to create and tap into a different group of people. I don't know. It's, it's you know, like Warp or, uh, or, you know, other record labels. It's, it's how they curate and, and put things together and, and what they put into the world. And they seem to really be an exciting label in that regard of doing some interesting things because it's a mix man they got it there's a there's a wide variety of folks um on that label and i think that's really exciting yeah i mean i I think george and Lindsay just have really good taste and it's definitely a, a familial vibe with a lot of the artists um we've taken a bunch of the 100 artists on tour we took um Sorry, uh, DDS on tour last summer. We took FM Skyline out for a couple dates. Um, yeah, it's like it's just it's it's a lot of fun to be honest, which is you know a good place to be. Sometimes you kind of lose that in making records. It's nice to kind of have a community that's supportive and that's you know going to show up. So like Electronicom was crazy, you know. It's like a ton of people there yeah you know, and it's nuts pr- pretty cool for you know something that's truly diy like no you know there's no backing for 100 electronica it's just pure like people's hard work so i don't know it's pretty great it, it, it it's definitely takes me back to like the brooklyn diy thing that we kind of came up with in terms of like just screw it like we don't need anybody we can just we can just do this ourselves yeah, you know, and having, you know, we we put on concerts here and the amount of work that, you know, one show with a few artists takes and the fact that they put on Electronicon and with as many artists 
as there were and as I think as successful it was. I mean, that's and with no backing like that's because that's a lot of the secret. I think a lot of people don't understand about artists is record labels and things like that. They've got tendrils and all sorts of different sort of um, industries that almost sort of guarantee vague success if you're chosen to be on this particular label yeah. or the larger label there's a whole network there's a whole industry behind it it's not you know um some indie success that comes out of nowhere there's a whole thing behind it and you know so for something like electronicon that doesn't have that backing where it really is diy passion and that hard work and curation it's it's really a, something that's really special yeah i mean it's it's truly punk you know like it's there's no there's just no precedent for it so it's 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 a really cool thing to be a part of and it's definitely in the world i like to be in so i i have to i can't not talk about this but uh com yeah. cruise did a remix for you guys and com cruise is one of our favorite artists uh oh yeah seth seth is great he's he's really really good producer and how did that come about um, we had met Seth like years ago at a show at Death by Audio and we were just kind of thinking about, we wanted to get a, like a cool remix for the new record and it's like probably the first person we reached out to. So it's pretty simple. Yeah. It, I mean, it's a no brainer cause it's Seth and he, I mean, he really put his, what I liked about the remix was that it was still very much your song. Um, but he really put his Seth isms, the calm truths touch all over it and it was a really i think a beautiful blend of the two things together because you know seth doesn't really do songs that have traditional song structures or yeah, yeah, yeah so to hear his music mixed with what you guys were doing i thought was really refreshing and, and i you know i really enjoyed it yeah yeah i enjoyed it too i think i remember when we, he he sent us like the first draft and he had our vocal like kind of straight on it and we and the only note we gave him was like dude just do do your calm truth thing to the vocal man like 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 have some fun with it you know we, we're not precious about the song like the whole point of like giving this to you to work with is for you to like do your thing with it so it's that i thought that was fun um you know it's with like the last few records or, or with your music in general it you're a full band you're playing instruments, but you also live in the electronic world a bit. Oh, yeah. You've got synths and things like that. Is there, do you think that you've like found your balance of how you mix those elements together for your band? Or are there things where you want to expand one more way or another more electronic or more instrument traditional kind of thing? Like what, what's the mix for you or the right blend for you? Well, I always say like, we're like, the danciest band on the rock festival and then we're the rockiest band on the electronic festival so like like we're always in kind of a weird zone like in between those two because it's like kind of the music i like the best it's like trying to take electronic music and kind of put some heart into it and make it and like song craft and not have it not just be so loopy um so i don't know i mean we are really just 
pretty open to what feels appropriate for the song concept, you know, yeah. and what what feels like it sells the vocal really usually is going to, you know, it's going to shape most of the choices that we make. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like a lot of records are shaped by, we got a new synth and, you know, it's fun to just kind of explore it and, and use it as like a, the center of a palette for a record. That makes a lot of sense. I, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, how do you, how does that ever end though? Because since, are endless no it, it doesn't i mean we don't really mess with soft synths kind of just on purpose to like limit ourselves and like i'm always trying to get off the computer if i can in terms of playing so that's like kind of i guess it's a rule i, I don't think we've ever used them once um so it's like it's kind of just get a new piece of hardware we're always kind of I mean, ryan and juan are like true gear losers so you know they're always sending me some synth some new crazy thing that they're gonna buy so you know i, I you know in exploring those keyboards a lot of times you just find new songs you know it's because it's fun and it's exciting so um i don't know i think being limited by the hardware is good for us because there's so many ideas with three three of us writing all the time yeah, and if you have a box that gives you infinite sounds, then it, yeah. it's almost crippling in a sort of way. It's uh, decision fatigue. Yeah, yeah. There was that video of that meme that was going around of like the woman at the casino on the the um, slot machine pressing the button, and and somebody had, had cut in a snare drum. Like a, a changing snare, looking looking for the perfect snare, and I was like, "Man, I know about that." And it's like I feel like when we're there, it's like just brain breaking to do that. But that's like such a big part of like making songs in 2023. You know, see that a version of that meme never seems to die. There's always yeah. It's either your snare sucks or yeah. something along those lines. I it it's funny, and I understand. I'm curious why that particular instrument is the thing or that sound is the thing that uh, people seem to struggle with or, or what it is, but it, it's funny. Well, there's no escape. There's no escaping it in a mix. You know, it's like, you got to hear the snare. It's like, you know, any sort of synth or guitar sound, you know, you can kind of put it wherever you want, but not necessarily the center, but like the snare is always going to be driving home, whatever the rhythm of the track is. And, and there's no, there's no getting around it. I suppose that makes a lot of sense. Has there been yeah. a, a piece of hardware for you that has really like been creatively satisfying to you? That's really inspired you. Like, is there a particular instrument that's or like synth that's really given you, um, you know, some interesting sounds that you have worked with? Well, the, I mean, the whole first record or two is all just the stupid Casio SK-5 and SK-1, which is just like super consumer kid sampling keyboard. Um, I do love to sample to make patches. So that was like kind of my gateway into that as a kid. Um, I use the OP-1 now to do a lot of that stuff, which is fun. Um, yeah, I don't know. I personally, I like to work a lot with like making sample patches. 
and I don't know. It's 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 gets you to some weird places right away, which, which I definitely enjoy. Um, we do have the Jupiter Six, which is kind of our ace in the hole on a lot of stuff. That that keyboard's amazing, and it's just got a magic to it that is. I don't know. The second we put it on a track, it's like, yep, that's done. Like, <laughs> it just kind of has a, a physicality to it that is, for some reason, the clones and newer stuff like can't match. That's um, that's a really exciting. I mean, that's sort of a decisive thing. You put it on, and it's like, yep, there it is. That's how you know. Yeah, it's, it's ready. Yeah, though that's why people still. That's why those synths just keep getting more and more expensive, even though it makes kind of no sense because there's so much good stuff now. Like there didn't used to be anything. Like right. all the Behringer, Behringer clones, like they're really good. Like I use one for live just because it's like a horse and it's not gonna break and I'm not worried about like I don't like we don't really tour with vintage gear because it's just Why? Uh, oh my god, what that would be like such a nightmare. You know, I know a lot of a lot of people do it. It looks cool as hell, but it's like, man, we just don't we we don't have the resources to fix this. We're not gonna have a backup one with us, so might as well use something that's a beast. That would just make my anxiety level go through the roof. Like, hey, yeah. we've got this one thing. If it breaks, that's it. It's it's done. Yeah, I mean, you can adjust, but like, just you know how those things are. It's like the repairs are so much money, and there's so few people that can do them. It's like it's you're kind of playing with fire yeah yeah or it's I mean, worked flawlessly for you for the whole time you've had it and then the problem comes when you get onto it. oh yeah 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 the capacity we had our biggest up, yeah. synth malfunction actually in in, in minnesota at for at first avenue really uh yeah ryan broke we use the nord wave for live which is really cool um it's like the Nord sampling keyboard. So we have a lot of our patches just kind of loaded in there. But uh, it he just he broke the pitch shifter and didn't realize it in the middle of our set. Oops. And so pretty much his whole keyboard was a half step out for the, the whole set. Oh, damn. We could not figure out what was wrong. So we were, it was a pretty avant-garde avant-garde sound i think we had going on well i mean it it was a performance that was unique and never repeated again yeah yeah it was like a truly like like uh atonal chill wave set you know (laughs) that's awesome (laughs) yeah kyle uh do you have anything for josh while we got him here i i was thinking of something it's more of a statement with a kind of a small question in it yep but uh earlier you were talking about you know you being out in la and one of the other bandmates moving upstate and the thing that i thought about right away is like that's a a modern thing bands with people in different locations in the country but what happens when it's like hey it's time to go on tour and I just had this weird thought in my head. Is it like Lord of the Rings where you all meet up at an inn? <laughs> like you're all waiting there and everyone walks yeah. through the door. Is like, do you have a set place? Like, okay, we're all going to meet at this point. Or do you get together beforehand? How, well, how does that go? 
everybody besides me is kind of oriented around New York and we still have Juan still has like our band house there. Um, so, I mean, we mostly start the tours in New York, but it, it does, it's definitely a new reality. Cause that was always like, we, we owned a van for forever, which passed on this year. So it's like, I don't know. Yeah. We're still figuring that out. And I still have my place in New York. So I go back a lot. I just, I'm renting it, but, uh, you know, I'm just trying to be like a really low level bi-coastal elite vibes, you know? I'm jealous. It's, uh, I, <laughs> I, I back it. Yeah. I mean, I, I support yeah. this lifestyle of yours. Yeah. I'm trying to give it a shot. So, um, yeah, I just, uh, yeah, I've been in New York for like my whole life. So I just want to try something new and it's been, it's been exciting. How different of a shift is it? It's pretty, I mean, I kind of knew it. I knew a ton of people here already. Like I know a lot of the music community here, so it's like it's super easy, easy transition. My sister's out here. Um, yeah, I just go hiking and stuff and, you know, drink juices with crystals in it, you know. <laughs> oh, you, you know. put them out in the sun first? Yeah, yeah. You got to cleanse yeah, them and then re-energize them. I'm going full L.A., you know. I got once I get the Stetson hat, then you then I'm then you can end our band. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. But, no, it's great. I, I just have like I have more space to work on music out here, which is like a big reason why I wanted to do it. So, has it? Do you think it's influenced your writing at all? Uh, no, not really. No, <laughs> I feel like I'm writing more about New York because I have some perspective on it. You've like really distance. You've yeah. really held back. Then I appreciate that. Most people, you know, it's like okay, time to start writing a song about California. California oh no, I don't know. I don't. Dreaming. I don't know this place well enough to write about it. You know, I gotta walk around more. More crystal gotta water. Talk. Yeah. 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 Gotta gotta do some more thirty dollar juices, and then then I'll really have a uh, an insight into the soul of Los Angeles. That's all it takes. Yeah, I think so. Well, Josh, I've really appreciated your time tonight. Oh yeah, and, this was a, this was a lot of fun. Um, I don't have anything else, Josh. Do you have anything you want to add? Um, hype, hype, plug, plug. No, we have some announcements coming up soon. Uh, keep your eye on our, you know, all our dumb social media stuff. Um, yeah, I love Minnesota. I grew up a very big Kirby Pocket fan. So, uh, always, you can't not be if you're of an age. Yeah. yeah, I was an absolute like obsessive. I think I had like 300 different baseball cards. I had the pancake mix. I was like completely obsessed. With wow. It, so. Yeah. So even me being an inside kid and not being a big sports person had to be a Kirby Puckett fan. Well, you, that was your. I mean, yeah, that's it. A little, a little chunky, fast guy who ripped. I mean kind of hard not to root for yeah i I love that guy all right well till next time uh this is this is kyle thanks for joining us josh see ya